Hi, everyone. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. On this episode, you're going to be hearing from Jennifer McMaster and our returning guest, Dr. Danielle McGinnis. And this is a special episode. We expose some of our realest, most hurt parts of ourselves. And we did that for a few reasons. First, the obvious, everyone experiences the grit of life, whether that's being betrayed by a lover and a business partner, or making a difficult, very, very difficult decision to break up your family when no one else thinks you should, or not accepting who you are and attempting to live a fake life. That last one was me. And as we introduce our virtual retreat for women into the world, which is called Grace and Grit, you've heard me talk about this before, um, we just knew that putting our messy healing journeys out there was the right thing to do. To show how all three of us, who are very different people, were so commonly apt to be attached to how the world perceived us, which is a pretty common cause of a lot of conflict and quiet desperation in, in women in particular. So we'll give you some examples of how we navigated these periods of our lives and share a few tools that we discovered helped along the way. So in this show, you'll meet Dr. Danielle McGinnis. She was on before, so she just gives a brief intro in case you didn't listen to that episode. She is a doctor of physical therapy turned student of depth psychology. And then you're going to meet Jennifer McMaster, who is a lifestyle architect and communication specialist. And you're going to hear how Dr. D healed from betrayal and the shame and the public shame that came from having her own personal rock bottom moment. And she'll also then get into some dream analysis 101, which is pretty neat. You'll hear how Jen made the difficult decision to uncouple from her longtime husband and the father to her kids and how she was finally able to bypass her own very loud inner critic and then get in touch with her wiser voice. We'll talk about some of our beautiful and strange experiences with mirror eye gazing. And then I get into my story of how I lived this double life for a really long time, trying to hide my my wild side. And I heard a lot of people along the way, um, but I finally began to accept and embrace the wholeness of who I was and who I am. And I stopped living a life of lies. And I appreciate you guys listening to that. I'd imagine that it may trigger some of you who have gone through this um, either in a in a personal experience or have known of people who have uh, experienced that type of situation. So thank you for being with me as I share that aspect of my life. Um, And then we get into the expansiveness of knowing who you are, understanding your shadows by understanding your shame. And then finally, the importance of the healed mother archetype. And that's whether you have children or are birthing other beautiful things in the world and why we're so passionate about bringing powerful women together. Now we also get a little bit into what the virtual retreat Grace and Grit is, but to get a more complete rundown and more of a mini course on our method of helping women update their lives so that it's recalibrated for the woman that you are today or want to be in the future, we're actually holding a live webinar on December 2nd, 2020 at 5 p.m. Pacific or 8 p.m. Eastern. And in this, we'll take you through a bit of our process and can answer any questions you have about the course. So to register for the webinar, you can go to mygraceandgrit.com. And even if you're not interested in going through the eight-week course, the webinar will be full of great tools and strategies for helping you live a lit life. Now, this course is for women and anyone who identifies as woman. 
And so if that's not you, i.e. you're a man, or you're attracted to a more masculine style of output, we're also launching the trials program again from December 1st through the 11th. And so for more information on that, you can visit wayoftrials.com and get on the wait list there. And the, the men are going to have a series of free lectures in early December. And so if you'd like to get access to those, you can just get on the wait list on the, on the website there. And we'll be sending you an email on how to access that on December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Lastly, if you're a couple, we'll have some kind of bundle for you guys to go through this. So it makes more sense financially for both of you to go through it together. So yeah, lots of great stuff <clears throat> happening here. I'm truly so grateful for all of you who have supported me in this journey of this show and i'm really excited to be able to connect with you in a more personal way through these programs but then also as always on instagram if that's more your speed so if you want to just connect there you can visit me at jessica depotzi underscore that's d-e-p-a-t-i-e underscore enjoy the show Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on. Thanks for having us, Jess. So excited. Yeah, I'm stoked. So if you can't tell by the changing of voices, there are three of us on today. So this is going to be a whirlwind. A threesome. Two days. (laughs) Who do you focus on? Oh, isn't that the question? (laughs) So the two voices that you hear today are Dr. Danielle McGinnis and Jennifer McMaster. So Dr. D, she was on a couple weeks ago, and I can't make the assumption that people who listen to the show are going to listen to all of them. I'd like to, my ego tells me that that happens, but you know, I can't make the assumption. So um, could you tell our, uh, our listeners a little bit about who you are and what your deal is and all that stuff? Yeah, so thanks again for having me back on the show. Um, So now, recording this, I guess I can officially say that I'm like immersed in my PhD of depth psychology. We talked about that on the last podcast we did, but I came from a physical therapy background. So I'm a doctor of physical therapy turned integrative life coach. um, And now I've kind of really pivoted and transitioned my life into um, the study of depth psychology, and I'm really hoping as I as I learn more about depth psychology, I'm really implementing those practices into the coaching that I do one-on-one with clients, and then in my Born to Heal program, and then now in our Grace and Grit program. Um, so yeah, what that looks like is is really helping people understand the layer beneath just the physical body, and so I really start a lot of my foundational work out with um, emotions and really understanding emotional intelligence, emotional integration, and then using that to have a bit a good solid foundation to kind of dive into the underworld of the psyche. And so um, that's what I'm really interested in, um, really studying the unconscious things that we're not really we, did, we don't really know that are there, but are there. So that looks like, you know, studying the shadows, um, studying dreams, studying complexes, um, all the things, masculine and feminine energies and dynamics. So that's really what I'm into right now. Again, immersed way more in it than when I was uh, mm-hmm. when we spoke last. So um, I feel like my personal psyche has been like, you know, activated and it's like shifting and changing every single day. So that's like really exciting too, because that really helps, um, 
yeah, I think, I think we're all students on this journey. So when I'm coaching people, I really like, like what I mentioned the other day, it's like, I learn just as much from my clients as they learn from me. And so, you know, I'm a student in a PhD program, but I'm also a student when I'm working with my clients. And so that's what I'm really excited about right now. So I'm going to stop rambling. (laughs) So (laughs) thanks for having me on. Yeah, sure. And then, um, so what types of people would you say are best suited to work with you in the type of work that you do? I was just talking to my coach yesterday, um, and she was asking me that same question. And, you know, it's interesting because something that has been coming into the forefront of my consciousness is I feel like I'm this, some, this like metaphorical gatekeeper mm-hmm. where man, I just love working with rock bottom people. Like the people who are in the pits, they're just in the mucky shit of life. I love working with those types of people. Wow, you never hear that. (laughs) I know. (laughs) You know, it's interesting because when I was uh, actually working in clinic as a physical therapist, I loved the patients that were like the chronic pain patients Mm. and nobody wanted to work with them, but I love love some good chronic pain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, I love the rock bottom because I think what, what happens in that moment is there's like so much rawness to your existence that like your, your coping mechanisms are so kind of beat down by what you've experienced that like there's so much potential there. And I think that's what I love. Mm, I love being the mirror to the potential of the rock bottom. So I love like kind of, you know, helping and guiding the Phoenix rebirth type of situation. Um, And that's really what my Born to Heal course is about is like really kind of being in that rock bottom and, and, and flowering back up. But those are the type of people I love to work with because I think that, you know, in the last week I had two people come to me and say that for the first time in as long as they can remember, they told me that they have this sense of hope. Mm. And that to me is just the most beautiful and fulfilling thing ever. When someone who feels hopeless feels just this spark of potential for their existence, like, holy crap, that lights me up so much. So yeah. Love the rock bottom experiences. <laughs> okay. I'll hand the mic over to Jen. Um, so this is Jen's first time on the podcast, but definitely not the first time I've talked about you on my podcast. So if the name sounds familiar, it's because I often quote her because she says a lot of things that really impact me. So welcome to the show. Finally, it's been a long time since I wanted you to have you on. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm like I said, I'm pretty stoked to be here with two of my best friends that I love hanging out with and chatting with and learning from and growing with. So this is pretty cool. Awesome. So um, would you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got into this kind of work that you're doing today? So I describe myself as a modern magician casting spells and supporting others to do much the same so they can create uh, what I describe as a luminous life, something filled, a life filled with authenticity, resilience, the vision that they have for themselves and getting them from where they are, which is often this stuck spot to that, or at least well on that journey. And that vision might change as we go. Um, But really clarifying that for them, helping them see their own inner strength, inner beauty, and, and letting them facilitate that growth. 
my background is in health promotion, kinesiology, and recently became a story work uh, coach. So I am venturing down that road. I felt like there was this missing piece. All these years working in healthcare, working with individuals to realize, you know, maybe like these little fragmented goals. And there was this missing piece, this underlying thing that was reoccurring and happening to people where they would start down this road and then there'd be these roadblocks. And to me, story work, working with that inner critic, the inner narrative that we have, and really harnessing that, dis disarming that, getting ourselves out of our own way so that we can grow into our authentic self has been really instrumental in my own life. And I see it with my clients. So I'm, I'm, I'm growing that. I'm, I'm on that streak right now. Awesome. You had mentioned modern magician, which I love. What is your form of magic that you use? Words. Words. Ah. Words create our stories and stories create our realities. So good or, or not, whatever we're, we're putting out there, whatever we're saying to ourselves, saying to others, starts to shape the perception we have of what's happening around us. And there's lots of opportunity for beautiful magic and there's lots of opportunity for dark magic. Mm, interesting. So I think having a, a skill and a talent and a method of magic like that can be both a curse and a blessing. Like, are you just listening to people communicate and you're like, oh my God, there's so much dark magic. <laughs> or are you able to turn it off me like and just receive the conversation for what it is and it's a balance. It's a balance. Depending on what hat I'm wearing. If I'm just sitting around chatting with friends, I can put on this relaxed cap. Um, every once in a while, though, it does sneak into, into my personal <laughs> life. Um, and I, I find most people are receptive to it, though. Once they understand it and they're aware of it, then it be becomes this game of, okay, how do we create the best spells for this world for ourselves? I love it. What hat are you wearing right now? Oh, I'm wearing a couple. They're switching on and off right now. I feel like I'm <laughs> sitting with my besties chilling. I'm, you know, out in the world into this, this vast internet podcast world. So it, they're switching right now. One of the things that I really love about Dr. D and Jen is their ability to make life changes when it's, it needs to be done. And I would just imagine that that always wasn't the case, wasn't always the case for you guys. Right now, if I could just speak for both of you, I mean, like, Dr. D is about to get married this, well, this next year. Um, you're looking into buying a house. You guys live in, like, one of the coolest areas ever. You're with a super powerful, like, awesome dude who's another one of my best friends. Jen lives in this magical cabin in the middle of nowhere with her two beautiful children and is dating another very powerful, awesome man um, after just recently re uncoupling with your longtime husband. And so what I'm getting at is they're living these really cool lives that I, I really like admire. And uh, I wanted to, part of the show is to definitely pull the veil away from just the awesomeness of like where we find ourselves now. And obviously there's tons of grit involved in life, daily life, of course. Not everything is perfect. You guys are all both masters of shadow work. And I think in your own ways, you know, whether it's words, whether it's depth psychology or my own shadow work practice. I'll start with you, Dr. D. Like tell us a little bit about some of the grit that you've gone through 
Yeah, I'm just going to breathe through this one. So I think the the biggest um, change in my life, I've always been like a go-getter. You know, I've always had that like go-getter mentality that's always been a part of my spirit. Um, but I think at one end of the spectrum, it was just to perform to get love, you know, get attention, to be validated in some sense. And so, you know, I think the biggest moment of my life that really kind of opened my eyes to the realm of the unconscious was um, a moment of betrayal by, you know, a really, really good friend, a business partner, um, just someone really close to me. There were so many different roles in that relationship. And so, um, you know, I just, on my podcast, I just did an episode about Persephone Mm -hmm. and, you know, with that myth, what happens is she kind of, she picks this flower and it's the most beautiful flower that she's ever seen. And when she picks it off the stem, um, the world opens up and she falls into the underworld and she's collected by the God of the underworld, Hades. And she's like stuck in the underworld. And that is exactly what happened in this previous relationship. You know, I, I saw this relationship as the most beautiful thing that I ever thought could be possible. Mm -hmm. And there was so much potential and it was like, it was so, um, I guess like the fantasy of it was so intense that it just blinded me into naivety. And I was so, um, just captivated by a lot of different, um, words, different actions. Um, and I think in a sense, what betrayal did to me was it opened my eyes um, to evil, to darkness, to humans um, being not so nice. But also, I think the most important part of that, betrayal opened my eyes to the ways that I had betrayed myself. And that recognizing that was, was probably the most painful experience of my whole entire life. Because after that, it's like once you open your eyes, it's like you can't unsee. So now you have to filter through, you know, your own sense of morality. Like what is good? What is bad? Who Who is true and who is lying? Like mm-hmm. betrayal really is. And I think maybe this comes full circle to why I like to work with rock bottom people because I was that person. And I know that feeling of years of feeling hopeless, but feeling trapped under my, my social mask. You know, I was the face of this company and we were super successful and everyone thought that it was great from the outside, but internally I was suffering and I was humiliated and I was full of shame. And it was just the most painful experience of my life. Um, but actually I think in that rock bottom moment, um, I think this is kind of what led me into depth psychology too, was this, I would say experience with God or experience with the numinous, um, that really kind of gave me this sense of hope that everything was going to be okay. And Mm -hmm. so I think in that experience, it was probably a period of, of three years. Um, I just kind of realized that I I kind of moved towards the adult 
spectrum um, from kind of like naive child to adult spectrum. But I think that my recent engagement was really another kind of like drop into the underworld. I was like, oh shit, I thought I grew up, but here we are. Um, so I think, you know, when you're making more like higher commitments in your life, life is maybe going to pull you down a little bit to see if you're actually being serious about it. And I think that being able to, to stay in the suck and be dedicated and trust yourself um, that you're actually doing the right thing is a big part of that, that I guess, level up or level forward or level through, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about my experience. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Oh my gosh, thank you for sharing that. Um, you had brought up a couple of uh, words that I wanted to circle back to about um, the fantasy of, of the relationship, being captivated, being naive, and then betraying yourself throughout that. Uh, I know that a lot of women, um, well, men and women, anybody, comes to this shadow work concept through a slap in the face of betrayal. And unfortunately, my rock bottom was being the bitch slapper of the betrayal giving, I guess you could say, um, which I can get into later. But um, like, can you explain a little bit about like betraying yourself, you know, like coming out of that fantasy and then realizing that you had a, a role to play in that? Yeah, I think that that's the hardest part of it, you know, is that act actual acknowledgement and an acceptance that like you actually chose this and you actually chose to stay in it. And, you know, I was talking to my coach like a couple weeks ago and she's like, you know, because it's interesting because as I like shifted out of this dynamic, this relationship, my life kind of opened up to me. I met Rick, everything was amazing, starting my own business. But there was something about that betrayal that I just hadn't worked through. And I think it was grief, you know, and I think that there was a grief of what I lost. There was a ton of loss involved there, but there was a lot of like grief for myself and that former version of me that was suffering in that. And I think I had to go back and reclaim her and and be with her and, and tell her like, if this, like your eyes are open now. So if this happens again, you will leave. You will leave. And the the last time I didn't. And I think that's what's so painful with betrayal is like you see it, but then you convince yourself or, you know, in this situation, there was a little bit of like gaslighting going on. So it was like kind of wasn't sure what to believe or who to trust. Like, can I trust myself? Is this true? And so I think like it's so complex and layered, but I'm actually going to write my paper for the end of the year for my one class about betrayal and kind of like the archetypal um, bottom of betrayal. And so I'm really excited about that. But I think, you know, I think any betrayal is kind of a mirror to where we've betrayed ourselves. But I think I focus so much on that, that I just didn't grieve it. You know, like I was willing to look at that and take responsibility. And I think in that, I left the really hurt part of me behind. And I said, okay, 
Like I accept that like I betrayed myself and I, I did all these things, but in that it was like almost like this suit of armor protecting myself from what was underneath that self-betrayal. And that was just immense hurt. And I think that, um, now, even, you know, two, three years later, I'm like kind of revisiting that and like reclaiming those parts of myself. And I do feel like a little bit in this moment that there's all kinds of different feelings around that, you know, like I feel almost a sense of like, well, why would you still be thinking about that? You know? And I'm like, well, that's not my voice because I know it's important but there's like a sense of me that also feels guilty for being there because now I'm in this like committed relationship and it's like, well, why are you thinking about another relationship? But it's not. And so I think there's so much like distinguishing on like what I'm actually going back in for. And I'm not going back in for the, the relationship that I was in. I'm going back in for the wounded little girl that was stuck in that relationship. And I think that's a big um, level of discernment that's taken like years for me to like pull all this shit apart and like realize that's what I'm actually after. And if I don't do that, I'm not entering into this marriage with wholeness and that's not fair to me and that's not fair to my partner. And so I think that um, with that, there's just a lot of grace involved (laughs) because it is gritty. Yeah. I I would imagine that being trained in dream analysis, because what you're, what you're saying right now brings up to me, like this might be a dream or something. Meaning um, sometimes you're in a relationship and you dream about like being with another man and you wake up and for the untrained dreamer, they're like, do I want to be with somebody else? Like, no. And then you feel bad about that, you know? And it kind of seems like this is the dream in real life too, where a lot of us think of past relationships and sort of wonder why. And it's not that you want, it's not so literal, right? It's like exactly what you were saying. It's, it's to represent something that you're going through right now and maybe need to go back and visit it like you did literally, or maybe it just represents something that needs to happen in the now. Um, Yeah. It's it's like the symbolic perspective, truly. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring up dreams because as I'm unpacking this, I've had so many vivid dreams. Like I had a dream that I was driving um, a car and it was going in reverse and there were cars coming past me and like swerving out of the way. But my car was like going down a highway in reverse. And I'm like, yeah feels a little bit out of, I feel a little bit out of control when I'm like kind of going back into the past and I'm like, this makes sense. And then I have this dream that I'm like ice skating with Rick and on the ice, there's like a bunch of snakes and he's like, just chop their head off with the ice skate. And every time I did, the snake came up to bite me. And so it really is this feeling of being, um, out of control or power, like powerlessness would be a good feeling of what I feel in those dreams. And so I think like when I revisit and like go back into like this betrayal grief work, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of feelings of powerlessness and there's a lot of feelings of like 
oh my God, am I going to get swallowed by this? Mm -hmm. So like these dreams, when I, when I have them, I really, I feel so blessed to like understand a little bit deeper than like just the literal, because if they were literal, there would be just nightmares. Mm -hmm. But like, I feel like they're, um, they're just like messages from my divine self. That's like, Hey, pay attention to where you feel powerless, pay attention to where you feel out of control. And so that's how I'm really kind of just approaching it. Um, present day. That's so awesome. Um, it, is it possible to give us a little bit of like dream analysis one on one one or is it too, too big for that? Um, I think like, if you look at it on a broad spectrum, I think the biggest thing is making associations. So you want to kind of not focus so much on like the plot of the dream, but you want to focus more on the images Mm -hmm. and like the images that are, are really stand out to you. And so, you know, say for example, the image or the dream with the ice skating and the snakes, like, Um, what does ice skating, what comes up there for me? And so you make an association. So when you think of ice skating, like what automatically comes up? You don't want to make secondary associations where it's like, oh, well, my mom took me ice skating. And then I think of my mom, something like that goes Mm -hmm. into like a weird train of thought, but it's interesting because (laughs) the first thing that comes up when I think of ice skating is being with that previous person ice skating in Pittsburgh. And so it's interesting how that's like kind of related. And so you take every image or part of the dream and you kind of associate it with something or a feeling. And so I do this with a lot of my clients and then they, you know, if they have dreams about their ex, typically it's not like you said, the literal ex, it's the representation of, and you know, I've watched client shift from feeling completely powerless to a partner that had cheated on them to going into that partner's house and taking the furniture back. And what that actually represented was her taking her property back, like part of her back. And just like through analyzing dreams, I think it's so interesting to see how the psyche is like shifting because once you can like show like communicate that with a client then they realize like oh it may not feel like on the outside I'm doing work but like internally my psyche is changing my attitude towards my unconscious material is changing and that's like really really cool Mm. like I really love that so that's a little brief explanation Yeah, no, that was very helpful. (laughs) Uh, Before we go to Jen, I just had to have one more question about the dreams. And I know I talk to you about dreams a lot. Like you have so many other realms of knowledge to bring, but I just can't help but be like obsessive on this one because I know zero about it. Uh, Is there such thing as just nightmares or is every dream that you have symbolic in some way? So, I mean, I don't no, I can't speak to that. Um, but actually next semester I'm taking a class called dream tending. So I will learn that in that class. And I'm so, 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 so excited. Um, because I was actually looking through the syllabus today. Weird. Um, I'm also a nerd. So I'm looking ahead, like a semester ahead at the syllabus. Um, but one of the weeks was actually that it was like week eight or something. We were going to like like when you actually have a nightmare, like 
is it, what does it represent? So have to come back on and like fill you in on that one. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Awesome. Would you say you're more of a Ravenclaw or a, or a Gryffindor or a Hufflepuff? I would say Gryffindor for sure. Such a Harry Potter nerd. I'm like Harry Potter for days. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like you're a little too nerdy for Gryffindor, but um, I'll give you, you're in for the good fight. So we'll leave it there. That's hilarious. <laughs> Um, so on that note, great segue into Jen. <laughs> That's a terrible segue. Please don't uh, ask me a Harry Potter question. Please don't ask me a Harry Potter question. <laughs> I was trying to get your kids into it. I, I think they got bored. <laughs> no, they're into it, but they only want to watch them with you. Oh, good. Okay, great. Well, yeah. So I love that. Um, so Jen, you excited to talk about your rock bottom? Oh, so many. When you asked that question, I was just like, oh God, there's a laundry list of gritty shit that I've been through. <laughs> I'm like, where do I begin? How far do you want me to go back? How recent do you want to keep this? How much time do we have? <laughs> um, I So reflecting, there's been lots of times in my life where I've practiced resilience. I've had small T traumas, big T traumas. Um, and in the healing of those, I've acquired a lot of tools personally, professionally, uh, but it wasn't until recently, I'd say maybe three years ago, that I learned how to put those tools into a higher and deeper practice. Mm -hmm. And that was, I would say, my mo one of my most recent greatest rock bottoms was my long-term drawn out end to my marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I was in that for so long because I kept asking the wrong questions and I kept asking the wrong people from the wrong version of myself. So it was just this, this cycle of nobody really knew. Uh, there was no grounding. There was no authenticity. There was no me as I know me mm -hmm. now. Um, and I was also seeking permission. I wanted permission to leave my marriage. I wanted my parents to be okay with it. I wanted my friends. I went to counselors. My ex and I went to counselors. We paid good money. And that's what I wanted to hear. But of course, no one could give that advice or would give that advice. And looking back now, three years on, I realize on so many levels how inappropriate that was and unhelpful. And it wasn't fair to ask those questions of other people. Mm. But I was, I was so scared of that inner truth and that there was this inner knowing that despite this childhood dream of being happily ever after two kids, white pick a fence, beautiful house, beautiful job, the whole like social media fan frenzy image. It just, I wasn't meant to be with my ex-husband that that ship had sailed and I didn't decide to do anything differently because I didn't know what questions to ask and I didn't know how to answer them for myself. I had this belief that someone out there was more expert about my life than I was about my own life. And I was scared. There was so much fear. I was scared for my kids, myself, my ex-husband. I still cared about him. I knew that he had a bunch of trauma around divorce and separated parents, and I didn't want to perpetuate that cycle. I, you know, in my early 20s made a promise, don't worry, we won't turn out like that. The cycle ends here, you know, these big glorious 20-year-old promises. And... Um, I realized at one point that I was in a completely different space and place. I was a different human. He was a different human. And there were so many unknowns 
that had me in analysis paralysis and just fear. So do nothing, just stay. It's familiar. And I don't know how many times I told myself or heard it. It's not that bad. He's not a bad guy. I'm not a bad person. Our life's pretty good. Um, so there was a lot of that justification, rationalizing, and again, that external. For some reason, I just couldn't turn those, those mirrors around and, and reflect for myself. And uh, yeah, so that, you know, I mean, we tried everything. I read books. I, I, we went to counseling. I tried really hard. I took antidepressants, anti-anxieties, and I still felt disconnected, inauthentic, and I was desperate for more. I was desperate for more me, more joy, more gratitude. So I, I kept seeking. And uh, it wasn't until... <laughs> I was isolated in the bush at the process with Jessica. <laughs> um, and I had been mulling these questions over for years. And then I would suppress them and then they would come back up. And then we're in the bush, eight days, not a lot of distraction. And I remember asking Jess, you know, what, what should I do? What do you think? And all this back and forth. I was getting embarrassed by myself talking to Jessica and when I realized how embarrassed I was, I just looked at her and I was like, well, what would you do? And Jessica looked me square in the eyes and she's like, well, I'd leave, but I'm impulsive. <laughs> so there's that. And in that moment, it was, it resonated. It was like the first time I heard my inner truth and it, it, it was, just said it and then I felt it in my whole body. I just had this moment of, okay, well, there we go. That's happening. That is true. That is true on such a core level. I can't deny it anymore. And I was scared and I was excited. And when the process was done, I packed up my stuff, went to my parents' house and there was a difference this time. I walked into my parents' house and I told them what I was doing. I didn't go in with a bunch of soft talk and a bunch of justifications and pros and cons list. I went in, I said, I'm leaving. This is happening. And they looked at me and I was ready for whatever I had already experienced in the past. And they just said, you got this and we got you. And then it was just like this cosmic, beautiful dance that each next step was the right step. Some of them were beautiful. Some of them were rough. Some got gritty. Some got some were really beautiful and graceful. Uh, but it just it just flowed, and it was beautiful. And since that, putting into practice just more of that inner knowing, inner truth, inner expert, and then taking all those tools and just revisiting them on a deeper level from this more authentic version of myself uh, has been very rewarding. Uh, Can I just validate the fuck out of that whole story? <laughs> Holy crap. Like, such a true, like, there is so much, like, raw truth in that. Holy crap. I just want to say, like, girl, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to validate it. So brave. Like, super, super brave. I'm like, just and... drop your mic on its side right now. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> So I can really, really, really understand why the inner critic work that you do with story work 
is so important to you because you had so many of these different voices coming from the outside telling you, Jen, you should do this, Jen, you should do that. And your own voices were like split into multiple personalities and your ego, the thing trying to keep you safe was like really holding you tight. Um, I wanted to circle back to something that you had said that you were asking yourself the wrong questions while you were in relationship to somebody who is amazing. You know, I know your ex-partner and he like, I'm it is confusing and hard to leave somebody who's a bad partner, you know, probably just as confusing it is as it is to leave somebody who's a really good person, you know, but sometimes you just don't mesh up anymore when you're not growing together. Right. So for those people that are in relationship that are trying to figure out what are some of the questions to ask and because perhaps they're not getting the right answers from themselves or other people, um, where do you think they could start to like really piece apart what those good questions could be? I think the first step is to set that intention of sitting or walking by yourself, no devices, no distractions, create a sacred space and just turn inwards and ask the questions with tremendous, like childlike wonder, like anything is possible. I can create anything. And you really have to believe that. And that comes with a little bit of practice, but really believing that, okay, if I could create anything, what would that look like for me? And just start mulling that over. You're going to have thoughts and feelings and, and just sit with those and reflect and then come back because they're going to start generating more questions, but they're your questions. They're internal questions. Instead of, uh, for myself, one of the, I think one of the more detrimental questions I kept asking was, how do I make this work? It was like I was railroaded. The only option is making this marriage work. And then it was all of a sudden I had this, this panorama of all these options. I could ask myself, well, what does this look like if we don't stay together and we do this or we try this or, you know, we grow. And then from there, those questions will come up. So I don't know if it's specific questions to ask, but that intention of curiosity, exploring, and just sitting with what comes up and then your own questions will be generated. Mm. Can I dovetail on that? Yeah. So I would say that in my experience, one of the things that I, I do agree with that, like creating like that sacred space, mine looked far different than a walk. Um, my, <laughs> so one morning, it would typically be my showers was my sacred space. Um, but one morning I put a timer on my phone and I decided to do this because I went to this like personal like meetup thing in Charlotte to meet friends down there because I didn't know anybody and we did this eye gazing activity and I did it with this girl and her and I became best friends because it was just like looking into her soul we were like oh my god I love you um and I was like what if I did that to myself so I put a timer on my phone and I did an eye gazing activity in the mirror one morning before I went to clinic and I just looked in the mirror and I looked in my eyes for three minutes and I didn't have to ask any questions. I knew. I knew what I should be doing. I knew what I was doing wrong. And then I got in the shower and it felt like I was getting baptized of all of the shit that I knew. It was like all the tears, like all the things just rinsing off. So that was like my personal kind of 
I started to do that, like a kind of like a personal eye gazing thing, because it was like, I was actually looking into my own soul. And that was like scary the first time I did it because I didn't think, you know, when you're like hearing all this external voices, what you think you're going to look at feels a little bit tyrannical or demonic. But when you actually do the activity, what you see is just like sensitivity and softness and that excitement and curiosity and wonder and all of these different things. And it's like, it really kind of like shifts you from the inside out. Mm. It's pretty nuts. I did a, a, an eye gazing, a self eye gazing exercise. And I, I like that you brought up that, like that scary demonic kind of energy. Cause that can happen like while you're looking at yourself, it's weird. The flow of emotions that happen when you're really looking at your eyes and your in your face, not to make sure that your mascara is on right, you know, or to make sure you like you look good, but just to look at who you really are. And I remember seeing almost like my face change into something that would really freaked me out. And I thought I was going a little bit crazy. And it, I think this lasted only like a split second, but I wanted to turn away. But just that interest in like, why am I so afraid of what I'm seeing right now? Like, I felt like I looked so old all of a sudden and like so dry, not my, not my skin texture dry, but just like, like a witch or something. <laughs> I was looking in the mirror, like a Disney witch. And, and then I continued to watch and, and then my face sort of like went back to normal. And then I saw that gentleness and the compassion. And that was one of my big awakening moments when I realized like in shadow work in particular, you have to see the darkness in order to see the light and you can't keep skating away from it. You can't just blow right past your mirror. You can't just blow right past other people's souls. Like you have to look into it. And sometimes it's gritty as fuck. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the eye is, is typically, you know, the archetypal entry to the soul. So I do feel like if there's a willingness and there's like an attitude towards um, exploration there, it might not be your, the best thing, but you'll get what you need. Yeah. You know? <laughs> totally. Part of the, the magic and the beauty of grace and grit is some things are going to work. Some aren't. Sometimes you're going to circle back. You're going to put that in the toolbox. Forget about, you know, you're, you're growing and evolving. And that's where that curiosity and, and wonder comes in, you know, just being open. Will yeah. this work? I'm going to give this a try. Okay. It didn't work this time, but you know, there, maybe there's something that resonates a little deeper with a little bit more information, you know, down the road, six months, a year. So thank you for bringing me back, Jen, because we actually haven't talked about grace and grit yet. I wanted to start this all off with some of the the grit that we've experienced because I just hate when people get into like all the awesome shit that they've done and like leave it at that. I'm like, no, there's more. <laughs> there's more that you're not willing totally. to share right now. And I don't trust you and I don't know you unless you put it out there. <laughs> um, so Jen, if I could start with you, could you tell us a little bit about what grace and grit is to you? Um, this course that we're launching by the time, almost by the time this is put out. Grace and grit for me is this, this sharing with others, this magic toolkit resource um, that's both based on our professional experiences, education, training, and our personal exploration and implementation of them. And offering knowing that we want to build this tribe like when the three of us get together and we're chatting and we're learning healing and growing there's this energy and this vibe when we're done and for me 
I just want to share that. I want to grow this tribe. I want to help other women, other mothers, so that they're, they're doing it a little bit differently for their kids and, you know, getting them out on that resilience foot younger so that as they're going through, the one thing that we all know is we're going to get dirty. It's gritty out there. And yeah, there's grace and there's beauty. And the more we can look at those gritty opportunities to come out with grace, uh, I think the more luminous and magical our lives are. And we have one go around, one conscious kick at the can. That's what my awareness is right now. And why not make it the best possible? We're worth it. Each individual is worth that. And if I could help and support and encourage and be there for other women, I, I want to. Um, <clears throat> something that I noticed in, in your stories and well, I guess I'll just quickly put mine out there because I don't want to, you know, leave you two on the hook without putting up my shit. Um, I just realized I didn't do that, but I healed through community like you guys did. You know, you found people that you trusted, um, the eye gazing with you, Danielle, somebody you didn't even know you trusted. And then you found yourself too. And then you found Rick in that whole, um, Clarity Academy community, and then Jen with the people that you trusted. And it's like, it's difficult. And I don't even know how it's possible. I'm sure it is somehow. But, but to live um, a life well lived and to make those big pivots by yourself, completely by yourself. And that was my biggest problem is I always thought that I could do this life basically by myself, despite being around a lot of people and having people that I knew and, you know, were friends with. I wasn't really like, I never trusted anybody to really help me with my problems. And so I'm sure I've mentioned this on my show before, but I was like a serial cheater. Every boyfriend that I've had since I was 14 years old, I cheated on him in secret, didn't tell a soul, like my best friend didn't tell her, you know, nobody. It was just like my private thing. And I never knew why I did it. And sometimes I would feel like the bad guy, but most of the time I justified it by saying like, I'm so good in all of the other ways that I show up. I just need this other thing on the side. I just like want to be a wild and crazy person. Almost like I had a fetish that I couldn't tell anybody about. Like I want to go and just be like whoever I want to be to this other person that I don't know and then come back and then just be like normal me that's wearing my mask. That's a good girl, you know, that cooks all the time and is really good at her job and like, you know, super inspiring and plays music and all that stuff. And it wasn't until I um, met, was engaged to be married, but then through this relationship, I had met um, Ashley Bledsoe, who you guys both know, and she gave me courage to like be more weird. And then throughout that, I discovered my weird and wacky side that to me now is very normal. Like I, I just feel like being me, even though there's nobody else like me is normal, right? But before I thought it was like, I don't want to be different than anybody else, really. Or I don't really want to show them how, how odd I can get. And, and it wasn't even that weird, but just to me, you know, it, it was for some reason. And as I slowly brought out my, my mysticism and my little bit of crazy to my relationship, my long-term relationship, I saw it, he started to get scared you know, and he's, he was like, I don't really know you anymore. He didn't say that because we didn't communicate very well, but I could see that distance starting to happen. And so my rock bottom was getting married to this guy after a week 
or two weeks after meeting my now husband. So I cheated on him two weeks before our wedding. And I just thought, okay, one last fling. And then I'm going to be like the loyal person that I really want to be. And I'm just going to pretend like none of that weirdness exists. And I'm just like, I want this for myself. I want to stop lying. And when I met Jeff, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I just knew that I could be whoever I wanted to be with him. And I didn't have to go off with my fetishy weird thoughts and all of this um, with somebody else. And through, through Ashley and her community, it was that courage that, that gave me a way out. And while I didn't do it the best way, and even still to this day, I wish I could go back and get a little bit of personal closure with a lot of these people. I actually tried it once. I called or I sent some emails out and I got a bunch of fuck yous back. <laughs> so like it wasn't the healing experience like I thought it was going to be. Um, but yeah, all that to say, it was like a lot of little, I didn't have like a big rock bottom moment, but it was like throughout my whole life, I had a lot of these, like you're a bad person, you're a bad person, you're a bad person. And so through grace and grit one of the biggest things that i'm excited about is adding to our community because straight up it's hard to find people that you trust it is hard to find people that are woke enough to and brave enough to say what they want to say without too much of a mask happening you know um to be able to hold space for somebody to to share their their challenges and the not so beautiful things that are happening in their lives. Like Instagram's a great place to put out a lot of the things that are awesome, but like, where do you go for the other stuff to, to create some of those more authentic things? So yeah. Thank you. What I love about that is your, your journey to wholeness. Mm. I love that. And I want that for all the women of the world is to feel whole and, not segmented into these, you know, realms that they create. And like you said, using these masks, it's, it's our differences. It's the wild, the wacky that make us even more beautiful and more lovable and more authentic. And when you're creating from that space, it, life just feels luminous, glowing, radiant. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing is, is like, there are a lot of practical ways that you can go about doing that without having to explode your entire life all at once so you can start over because it's hard and easy to do that at the same time right to just be like you know what I'm picking up and I'm moving to San Diego and nobody's going to know me there and I can be who I want to be and goodbye parents goodbye old friends sometimes it's easier to do that and that's not that that's a wrong answer but there are other ways to do it too if you want to stay if there are things that you want to heal but it's challenging and you have to have the language technology to be able to do it which Jen specializes in, you need to be able to look your shadows in the face and figure out what the purpose of them is for, which I'll help you guys with. And you need to really understand your feelings, which is Dr. D's specialty. So if you want to get into that, D, um, some of the more receptive and feeling aspects of Grace and Grit, that would be awesome. Yeah. So, um, just kind of, I think this is a, a really good segue from your personal story. So one, thanks for sharing that too. I just want to validate everyone's story. I'm like, oh God, so special. Um, so, you well, know, if I could also say though, like, thank you for not being triggered or judging me on my experience because like you and I were on opposite sides, right? Like I was the betrayer, you were the betrayed. And it's so 
awesome to be able to have a conversation with the both of us so we can talk about like, why would somebody do that? Or, you know, how does that feel for the other person? So it's not so like bad guy, good guy, victim, all that stuff. Perfect segue. Yeah. (laughs) I think the words that came to me when we, when you asked the question about grace and grit from the jump, but also now is, is bridging the opposites. You know, like I really just don't think it's helpful for me to sit on a pedestal of judgment or a place of like victimhood and be like, oh, I was betrayed. And so anybody that cheats is a piece of shit and like cast judgment. Like I am not God. Like that's not my job. You know, like I'm here to understand and I'm here to witness and I'm here to receive, you know, and I think that in terms of bridging the opposites, I think something that is common in all three of our stories is like, we were so apt to be so attached to how the world perceived us, you know, like we're so attached to that social mask, you know, like mine was the face of my company, the aspiring PT student, Jen, you know, it's you with your kids and, you know, the perfect marriage, the perfect job, like, we're attached to that. And like Jess, it's like, you know, you want to be the good wife, you know, you don't want to be the person that's on the other side of that. And I think like when you're so attached to that social mask, there is this internal pull because what's happening in your unconscious is compensating. So however, like the amount that you're attached to that mask is going to be the equivalent that's pulling you into your compulsions, your obsessions, your desires, all of those things that are kind of like repressed, it's going to like equal out. And that's why it's going to feel like suffering when you're so attached to how people perceive you. And so I think that the first step of really bridging the opposites, so, you know, living on the poles is to kind of separate ourselves from a place of objectivity and just witness your life and who you are outside of that role. And you start to realize that there's so many different parts of you that you had no idea, you know? And so like Rick and I were talking the other night and he was like saying something and I was like, but you have no idea who you are. (laughs) (laughs) You think you know who you are, but like you have no idea because there's so much to you. So when we convince ourselves that we figured it out or we were in this spot or we're one thing, like just hold space for there to be more. And I think that separation between the social mask and who you, all of you, there's a lot of emotions between that space. Like that's like step one where it's like that separation is going to cause like a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of sadness, a lot of grief. Like there's so much in that separating when you're actually like becoming more objective. And I think like teaching people how to use their emotions as um, their GPS You know, like Mm -hmm. when they're experiencing positive emotions, like what are they making that mean? When they're experiencing negative emotions, what are they making that mean? How do shame and guilt kind of like seep into the mix? Because those are the things that kind of keep us 
stuck. Um, and also I think that like shame is a really good kind of entryway into shadow work. And so you can start to kind of notice your shadows by understanding your shame. And so I think that emotional understanding, emotional intelligence, not only helps you understand where you need to go next, what you need, but it helps you start to get a better understanding of how to communicate that to other people. Because if you don't know what you're feeling and you don't know what you need, how would you expect to be in a dynamic with somebody else who's experiencing all of their different personalities, all of their different feelings, all of their different things in the mix? So it's like, after saying that, you can see how it gets really, really messy, you know? And I think like this bridging the opposites, it's, it's a lifelong task. And I think what Grace and Grit is, is to give you tools, skills, and a community to be supportive of that lifelong task. It's like, I don't want to speak for you two, but I would probably bet that you guys would not say that this is like an eight-week fix. Like, this is an eight-week introduction to the rest of your life. Yeah, we haven't developed the magic wand yet. So (laughs) we don't have that. No magic bullets, no magic pills, no magic potions. Yeah. A lot of fun, a lot of laughs, a lot of learning, healing, and growing. Yeah. And so one other thing was like, Jess, you were kind of talking about community. Mm -hmm. And I think something really important is, and I think that you too have really um, been this for me in my life, whether you realize it or not, but like a really amazing embodied feminine presence. And I think that's something that I, I love my mom to death, like love her so much, but that's something that she didn't get in her life. And so she didn't give to me. And so being surrounded by women who are so grounded in their ability to receive and to regulate, to understand, to nurture, to guide, like that is invaluable. Like that is is so healing, you know, because if you're used to coming from a group of feminine that is dramatic, um, judgmental, critical, starts arguments just to be right, like that in itself is, is not a very good place to start healing the feminine. But if you are surrounded with a group of women who are unconditionally supportive of your path, I don't know. I think yeah. that's it. Yeah. That's it, how the world changes. Totally. I think that there's this there's this misconception around what feminine power is. And we don't that's really what the course is. But because there is such a misconception around it, we don't really make that so obvious. Like when you go to our website, it's like we've been conditioned to think that being feminine is weak or something. Um a lot of women feel that. I definitely felt that growing up, that the more feminine I am, the more vulnerable I am to being like attacked or something like that. And as we, as we did the work and put grace and grit together based on our collective tools and backgrounds, like Jen was mentioning, um, it just really solidified like how necessary this work is to do. The world needs more women to do this because behind the veil, we are running the show. You know, we might not be the world's leaders. We may be super underrepresented and underrepresented in leadership, but all those fucking leaders have wives. They all have daughters. They all have like 
their sisters, their mothers that they're going to for advice because that used to be our role. You know, we were, we were the wise women. We were the, the people that guide and we still do that. And so like Jen, you had, you had touched on, on children. You've worked with a lot of children and a lot of moms. And I, and like, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that, that importance of, of motherhood in, in our modern society. Wow. I could, we could talk hours on that. <laughs> Here, let me close note it. Um, the importance of motherhood in our modern world. We have the gift of influences. I think what you were talking about there, whether it's implied direct, whether we've worked our way into, um, you know, figureheads, um, we, we create, we create and literally through creating humans and what that is when you see that through the ages is you're creating that next generation that's going to create that next generation. And we have influence. And I felt as a mom that that wasn't important, that my career, that all these other metrics were important that I didn't fully understand what momming was and the purpose of momming. And it was when I left my marriage, created space that I could really ground and connect with my kids and see and appreciate the influence I have in their lives. And then when I see them go out with their friends and into those families and this, it just, it spreads. And again, going back to the words we use, language and communication, we have this opportunity as women to shape humans. And that ripple effect is, is beautiful and potentially terrifying depending on our intention and the lens and our skills and our tools and our past experiences, what we inherit. There's so many levels to it, uh, but there's also so many resources and tools to integrate that, to, to heal yourself so that you interrupt those potential patterns and to learn and grow and move that needle of kindness, compassion, curiosity forward. Even just a little nudge can make that ripple that will maybe not change the world in, in my generation or my kids, but who knows where that can go. And with that beautiful potential, I'm inspired to, to do, to be, to be my best self. So my kids can be them, their best selves so they can show up and do their part in this world. And D, for, for you and for a lot of women like myself who don't have kids or maybe never want kids, you know, and, and feel the urge to birth other things into the world, um, how do you see this work being really important for that, that mother archetype that it doesn't directly relate to children? Well, I, I, that's, a, that's exactly what I was thinking when, when Jen was speaking. I was like, so how does this show up in, in my life? And I think that just coming back to the Persephone myth, that whole myth is about taking your descent into the underworld as an initiation into the mother archetype. So you're no longer the maiden, you're no longer the innocent, naive girl that goes through the life, goes through life with like these naive eyes. You've actually seen and experienced some event in your life that's given you the wisdom to have that mother nurturing energy, whether that's for your partner, for your own inner child, for any 
anybody around you, there is something about that experience and coming, you know, in that myth, Persephone turns into the queen of the underworld and she comes up every spring and she's on the upper world. So that's what the whole process is going from maiden to mother. No longer, we're, we're not just these upper world, you know, we're only happy when our ego's happy. We're actually content and understanding when we can, when we're in darkness and in suffering, we understand what our purpose here is. We, we can take that suffering and turn it into wisdom and use that to guide and use that as our platforms for our voices. So... Sorry, I just wanted to add to that. I, I, I agree with you, Danielle, there that whether you create a human or not, I think is a, a smaller detail in the grand scheme of things. Um, I'm one human in their lives and I see it. It's, it's a village. We there's this calling, this yearning that we, ha we need to, I say have to go back to this, this community, this relying on other to help us raise kids and whether you've birthed a child or a mother-like figure, I see the value and the influence that my friends have in my kid's life. Jessica, without her own children, the way she, she nurtures and influences and educates and helps my kids along their journey is beautiful. And I know that the more exposure they have to these other women, they're going to be more whole embodied humans. It can't just be me. That fucking pressure will make you lose it, like blow a gasket. Um, and if we can start relying on and, and being less, relying on other women and being less about, do you have kids? Do you know what you're talking about? Well, they might have a different lens. They can see it from a non-stress, sleep deprived lens and they can be like, well, you know, I kind of have an opinion. It's like, oh, thanks. Because <laughs> I couldn't get there on my own. I haven't eaten in a week and my kids are like running around. You know, so there's those moments that regardless of actual mother or not being in the maiden sphere anymore, we can all learn and grow from each other mm -hmm. and, and valuing the pieces that people can bring to our lives, even though they're different. Totally. Yes. Preach. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> Speaking of which, Emo, can you babysit the kids? <laughs> I, you're going to have to come to Arizona. <laughs> Um, okay. Well, yeah, you guys are just like so fun to have on. I want you to come on all the time. Um, <laughs> so we are going to be doing a live webinar on December 2nd, 2020 at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Mountain time. <laughs> Gotta be all inclusive. I think there's another time zone in there, but I can't do the math. Central, 7 p.m. Central. Boom. <laughs> and then for all the other countries, you know, you're going to have to figure that out on your own. Um, in this webinar, we're going to be taking you through a bit of our method on how we help, helped ourselves, first of all, and also help all the women that we coach and all of our clients, uh, this process of creating a more updated life. Meaning if you've, you've consciously or unconsciously played a part in getting you to this point in your life, and maybe it made sense several years ago, maybe it made sense a month ago. Maybe it never made sense. Either, either way, you're feeling a little bit unfulfilled, unsparkled. This is 
a bit like a, a flash in the pan sort of experience on what our method looks like. And there'll be a ton of interesting information in there. So if you enjoy this show, you're really, really going to like the webinar. We'll offer the replay, but it's um, always best to show up live because then you can ask questions and stuff. And you can find that registrant information at mygraceandgrit.com. I don't know why I said registrant. <laughs> that was weird. You can, <laughs> you can register at mygraceandgrit.com. And we're going to be opening up the course from December 1st through the 11th. And the course will start in mid-December. So if, again, like you're resonating with what we're talking about here, if you're looking to update your life, put in some really practical work, but also feel the feels and get involved in like a really cool community of, of badass chicks that are here to change the world, uh, I think you'll be into it. Thanks for hopping on, guys. See you later. Thanks, Jess. Take care. i